Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for the modern parent working in the modern world. Join us as we interview leading experts in their fields to unveil the secrets working parents need to succeed at work. My name is Tom Spiggle, and I welcome you to the Parents at Work podcast, which is a podcast for parents who want to excel in the office, even though they have children. And I want to welcome today our guest, Elizabeth Stitt, uh, who will be joining us to talk about her book and her consulting practice. So welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit um, about who you are and, and what you do. I am a parent educator and parent coach. And I give parents the skills that they need, the concrete skills that they need to be more effective. And I support them in the emotional journey of parenting. Tell me how that works. If I were to call you up and to seek out your services, what would that mean? Well, uh, the first thing we do is we start with, I have a 50-item family assessment. And it, it really just gives parents a chance to say, Is this something that I'm seeing in my house never, sometimes, or always? And then, and sometimes it's just a snapshot. It's just looking because parents can have, for a given item that I bring up, parents can have a a different philosophy about it. So I might say, you know, is your child in bed at a regular time? Is that important? And you'll say never. The first question is, is, is it never, sometimes, or always? And the second question is, is that important to you? Do you care about that? And I might talk some about, using sleep as an example, the benefits of enough sleep and regular sleep and getting to sleep on time. But it's really the why that's more important and and the parent's comfort level. So it's helping parents to parent deliberately and make clear choices that they want to be making, not default choices, because, you know, that's just the way that, that things are working. So that's really what we're, what we're doing is we're really sort of checking to see, are your parenting practices in line with your goals and your values? And if not, is there some skill or structure that I can help you with that will get you so that your parenting practices are in line with your vision and your value? Got it. So how did you, um, how did you get into this line of work? I was a teacher for 25 years and... I really noticed a shift in both the kids, but but also the parents who were coming to me. In the beginning of my career, parents would come in for a student-teacher conference. I was very much the teacher. I would say, here's your child's strengths in this area. Here's Here are his weaknesses. And they'd be like, thank you very much. See you in the spring. <laughs> and the closer I got to the end of my career, it, it was two things. One, I was hearing from them, you know, the first week of school, the second week of school, the third week of school, and there was a lot of anxiety there. And depending on their personality, it was either worry or it was sort of, you know, in-your-face aggression about, you know, you're not meeting my child's needs or you don't get my kid or how dare you give my child a C. My, my kid doesn't get Cs. And when you kind of dig behind that, what you really got was, you know, sort of a lot of insecurity and a lot of isolation and feeling overwhelmed. And that was really so, you know, as, as for reasons in my own life that I was, I was looking for a shift, I really began to think about what do parents need? And we used to have community. We used to have 
mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers and aunts and uncles and cousins. And so we had an example. And we had, we had common values. So, you know, what we felt was important about parenting was pretty consistent with what our neighbors felt about, about parenting. And that is really not true today. And it's one of the major challenges that we face. And it was, so that's what it came out of. It came out of this desire to, well, really it came out of my desire to support my students because I was seeing that they were getting more and more anxious and they were having a harder and harder kind of sense of, you know, a seventh grader 25 years ago, if you asked them, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was like, I want to be Madonna. I want to be Tom Brady. It wasn't realistic. (laughs) And now you ask a seventh grader and they'll be like, well, my father's a software engineer and my mother is a VC person over there. And I think that I want to do something. I'd like to start my own company. And it's this very sort of focused, uh, but it's not like this, it's not like, it's not like the sense of excitement that you used to get from kids and like the sense of dreaming. It's more like the, I'm already, I'm 12 years old and I'm already carrying the burden of what I have to be when I grow up and, and in a very specific way. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that's true. I certainly see that, um, you know, we're in the Washington DC area and certainly see that around here with the type A personalities and I'll uh, put myself in that group. So what did you teach in what ages? I, well, over the course of my career, I taught everything K-12 except 11th grade, mostly English language arts, uh, but also wherever possible, um, sort of alternative things like character education, um, mindfulness. We had a, we had a, I had an enrichment class I taught called um, the Happiness Club, where we were just looking at, at practices of like parenting, parenting parenting's a skill. It's not something that it's not something we know how to, we know how to do innately. Like the need to love our child, I, I absolutely believe that's innate and something that we get called to when that child comes to us. But the actual day to day concrete skill of how do I be effective, that's something we learned in social groups before. That's something we learned from the people around us. And uh you know, the current thinking on happiness is that it, that it's sort of the same way, that it's not that you're just a happy person or you're an unhappy person. It's that there are practices that you can put in place in your life that will indeed increase your happiness. And um, so, yeah, I mean, one of the things for me as a teacher was that I was less and less interested in teaching curriculum and more and more interested in teaching who are you as a person and who are you becoming. And I felt like parents were often getting in kids' way of that question of, of who do you want to become and who are you uniquely? Because parents have kind of been put in a bind, I think, in modern parenting that uh, because they are being so judged by each other and so judged by society, and there are some reasons why that's more true today than it used to be, um, our own anxieties to have our child look good kind of reduce us to a point where all we're communicating to our child about are those checkpoint things, those visible signs of, of success, even for you know a 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old. 
Are they, have they made the traveling soccer team? Did they get the audition? Are they getting straight A's? How, is, how are their testing scores? Right? These are, these are things which used to kind of be the icing on the cake, but we were actually more concerned with, you know, are our children polite? Are they helpful? Are they hardworking? Are they, it was character traits that, that we were interested in, you know, are in a, more people were um, associated with or involved with some kind of religion. So, you know, then it was, you know, are, are they faithful? Are they doing the things that that religion called for them? Those are right. less and less our concerns. Right. It's more the external factors. Let me ask you, and I want to get to your to your book, um, and maybe you can kind of fold that in here. But let's say you have somebody come to you. Um, he's a you know a fairly fairly long and far along in his career. He's vice president of marketing at some you know at a company, and he's got two young children, and he wants to be actively involved with them, but it's taking a toll on on him and his health and his work and his and his family. And he comes to you, and he doesn't know where to start. <laughs> what? I, I maybe maybe too much. You want to talk about your book separately? But what kind of? How would you start unpacking somebody like that? And what? Tell us about your book and how that might help someone. Uh, sure. The book is called "Parenting as a Second Language," and it really comes from this premise that uh, if you didn't grow up in a household where there was effective parenting then you, there's no reason why you should know how to be an effective parent. And I, just, and I don't even just mean grow up in a, in a household where there's effective parenting because we used to have multiple experiences with children when we ourselves were small. We were out on the streets. We were, we, as we were older children, we were taking care of the younger children. As we went to family gatherings, we were, you know, said, you know, take your cousin in to go to the bathroom. Take your little sister to do this and to do that. Now, when I do workshops, I frequently ask parents to raise their hand and to tell me, how many of you held a child for the first time when you were in the hospital with your newborn? And I get at least a third of the hands raised, and, and sometimes it's, it's more than half. I mean, imagine coming to a job as important as parenting, and you've had zero training, zero experience. Sure. It's no wonder that, that we are overwhelmed. So the book is really just sort of a gentle guide that goes through a, um, and looks at various aspects of things and um, has little exercises for self-reflection to kind of help you find your way in a variety of topics. But to get to the other part of it, like, so if authoritative parenting is one end and permissive parenting is the other, what we're really wanting to do to be effective parents is to step towards the middle and to find that balance between the authoritative parenting, which is the, the, the sort of high standards and the expectations for how our kids behave, and the permissive parenting, which is the warmth and the connection and the seeing our child as an individual and honoring that individual person. And for me, that's where structure and connection come together. So when I work with parents, I'm, I'm looking at both places. I'm looking to see what are the structures that you have in your house and where are they in, in place and how do they help support you? And how are you connecting with your kid? How are you really 
meeting your child as an individual, not as a checklist, not as a product who is going to reflect whether or not you're a good parent, but literally meeting your child where he or she is at the moment. So one of my, um, I'm going to just back up a little bit. So how do I work with parents? We start with this inventory to sort of say what's going on in your house. But when we ask the question of how do you feel about it, that question is really a question about values. And that's the place where I come back to with parents over and over and over again. What, what are your values as a parent? What are the ones that you want to be transmitting? What, do you, what are the ones that you, that you want to be, to be teaching? And some of this is in the book, and some of this I actually I have a, a class, one of my favorite pieces of curriculum that I developed, I call Transition to Parenthood, because ideally you would do a lot of this work before your kids were born. If you haven't, it's still really valuable work to do. So when you go mining for, for, for values, I always start with what were the happy memories of your childhood? And I'm just going to put a little side note here, Tom, that says, you know, when, when we ask kids about what are, you, what are these happy memories or when I've, when, you know, at this point I've asked a lot of adults, when, think of a memory of when you were truly happy in your childhood. And it never has to do with the big trips or the big presents or the grand gestures. It almost always has to do with the sort of small intimate moments. It's like, you know, pancakes on a Saturday morning or riding bikes to get ice cream in, on a summer's evening or sitting by the campfire reading a book. And so, you know, when we draw on that from parents and we say, well, what are the things that were really important to you? That helps parents to become more centered in their own selves of, um, oh, right. It wasn't really important to me that, you know, my mother made me practice the piano religiously or that my father pushed me to um, get first place in the science fair. And so that reconnects us to our own childhood and to our own sense of sort of security and happiness and really reminds us where the warmth and the connection is. So starting with values and, and having clarity and making a plan, I think helps parents feel more centered and it helps them to balance their parenting goals with their own personal development goals as those are being played out maybe in their job or, or in the community. You, you have an exercise in your book, uh, which I thought was really interesting, which was to, well, I'll let you describe it, but essentially uh, that somebody is talking about your, your adult child sometime later in life and describing all the wonderful qualities about him or her and then having the parent you know, list those. Tell, tell, talk a little bit about that and what that's getting at. Yeah, and that's, that's something that you know, listeners can do at home right now. It's not, it's not hard at all. You just close your eyes for a moment and you imagine that your child is 2021, 20, 22 and has a summer internship and that at the end of the summer you happen to run in to your child's boss and she looks at her, maybe you met her at the beginning of the summer or something, and she looks at you and she's like, oh, Tom, I am so glad to run into you. Let me tell you 
about your child. And then she proceeds to list the ways in which your child has showed up in a positive way in his or her internship. And then I have parents, you know, write that down. What does, what does that boss say? What praise, what qualities, what characteristics come up when they think about it? And again, it's really funny because, you know, nobody, nobody says about their child, oh, you know, the boss said that he um, increased the company's email list by 300,000. He, you know, it's always qualities and characteristics. It's always, you know, he was reliable. He took initiative. He, um, he was good at problem solving. He managed to make everybody feel comfortable. It's, it's, these, these, it's really who's the person that we want to have? How do we want to have that child show up in the world? Yeah, no, I think that's a fascinating uh, and powerful exercise. What, and this may require tweaking, a, a, or maybe not, some of the concepts in your book. But what for a parent to, they've already, so they're coming to you a little late, <laughs> or, or at least they've already had their children, and they recognize these things, and they want to be able to, you know, to kind of have the sweet spot in the middle between those various different styles of parenting. But they're they're really just having trouble even getting out the door in the morning. Um, both parents work, and it's crazy, and they're trying to get the child off to daycare um, or to preschool. And by the time they get to work, they're it's just they've already been. <laughs> already been like they've fought a major battle. Is that just something they have to power through? Is that is that something that can be made better? And if so, how would you deal with that? Well, okay, so let's just, I, I, I do think these things are connected because let's say, um, let's say that I want, um, when my child is 21 and has this internship, I want her boss to say, she takes initiative. What change am I going to make with my six, seven, eight, nine year old that helps to develop this quality of taking initiative? Right? So, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite tools, um, because I th- it has so much bang for the buck, are family meetings. And I, I have a, a four part structure for family meetings, but one of the underlying fundamental ideas of the family meeting is. We are a family. We work together to find solutions. So if parents learn how to, to, if they sit down with their kids in a regular way and they include their kids in the planning of things and in the brainstorming of things and the finding of solutions of things, then more and more their children are not just little drones in the house or just burdens or responsibilities that have to be taken care of, but they become an integral part of the working of the household. So you would take that question. You would, you at a family meeting, you would put it on the agenda and you would say, our morning routines are sheer chaos and it feels like we're running a marathon before we even turn on the engine to pull out of the driveway. What can we do as a family to, uh, what can we do as a family to make things smoother? And you know, I think very often we estimate what a six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old can do to contribute to that conversation A, and to the actual running of the household B. So, 
um, one of the things that I work with families on seeing is, well, where can your child be more independent on the one hand? And on the other hand, if we're going to, if we're going to ask them to, you know, so for all individuals, there's this constantly this tension between closeness and connectedness and, um, you know, standing on my own feet and taking care of myself. And we want both in a family because, you know, when our child turns 16, we want them to be independent and to be taking care of themselves. And yet we still want them to feel connected to us as a family unit. We, we don't want to cast them out to the wolves. So, you know, for your seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year-old, on the one hand, it's what responsibility can you be taking on? Kids should be waking up themselves, getting themselves breakfast, and or being a part of the family getting breakfast on the table. They should be um, certainly getting themselves dressed and doing their, their morning, you know, sort of teeth brushing. And then, and then there's kind of a, a shift, right? I mean, younger children, like, you know, girls with long hair often still need more support with combing out and braiding their hair. But, you know, if they've got short hair, then maybe that isn't an issue. And, you know, kids with ADHD might need more reminders and they might need more structure. And so you have to be flexible with what you're going to give to what, but you still set the expectation that in our family, we work together to make things happen. And right now we need to get out the door in the morning. And then you start brainstorming with the kids. And when you put it to the kids, it's amazing. I mean, parents just tell me like, oh my gosh, I didn't know my kids could do that. I didn't know they would do that. But all of that has to be balanced with a ton of warmth and connection. So, let me, uh, yeah, let me, go let me ahead. ask you this about the family meeting. I think it's a great idea, and, and we have tried it in our family. Um, you know, we have four four children, and I just wonder what, you, what your advice would be about this. I think you talk some about it in, in your book. Um, but our, our oldest son, love him dearly, um, has many, many ideas about uh, various things. You know, some good, some bad, but he... It just essentially talks a lot. So we had trouble keeping the meetings on target because by the time he finished his idea, the four-year-old's getting squirmy. And so how would you deal with that? How do you keep the meetings on track? Oh, yeah. Um, you have an agenda and you have, if the agenda part of the meeting, if the open agenda part of the meeting is, say, 15 minutes, you take the number of agenda items and you divide it by the by 15 minutes and that may mean that a particular agenda item only gets three minutes. And naturally, you don't expect to solve something in three minutes. But this is the beauty of this, Tom. Very often, A, just by bringing up a problem, you open the space for it. So right. um, can you think of an example of, of something that your son might, might be, you know, an idea that he might bring to the table that... Oh well, I think you know they're all they're all productive ideas. Well, most of them. Um, but for instance, he might say, um, "Okay, let's you know let's write down all of the you know uh, issues, and then, and then we can figure out what we're going to do about it and what the consequences are going to be if you don't do them." And then he'll come up with a long list of gruesome consequences. <laughs> um, okay, awesome! Yeah. I love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. So if um you know, if like an agenda item might be, what are, what are things that we want to discuss? Another agenda item might be, what are ways that we're going to have family fun? You know, 
Somebody else might have brought up a really specific agenda item, like um, Tommy gets to pick more. He gets to pick the television shows, and I never do. Each of these gets three minutes, and of course, in three minutes, you can you can't list the whole litany of issues that we need to discuss, much less what the solutions are. But that's okay because you're going to have another family meeting next week. Right. But in the meanwhile, everybody's thinking about this issue. It's sort of in the back of their head. And so when they come next week, it, it becomes more focused. And when they get impatient because there's no forward motion, then that becomes a great question of just saying like, you know, are we ready to move forward with this? If so, maybe we should move to solutions. And or so what, maybe we should prioritize which of these issues we want to work on. So how do you, as a, I love those ideas, how do you as a practical matter, so do you use, I mean, literally use a timer? Like once you get to the end of the three minutes, do you write down where you are or is it just not that structured? Do you just... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I keep it structured and I'll tell you why. Um, partly, probably because I'm a teacher, so I love lesson plans, <laughs> and I and I and and I'm structured. But it's just the reality of modern day life that we are very, very busy, and so the amount of time. I mean, I've had families say to me, "Well, why do I need a family meeting? We sit down to the table every night, and we just talk about these things organically." And I was like, "Okay, that is beautiful. I love that. If you can organize your family life." such that you actually sit down and you actually have conversations and bring things up and find solutions, and that works for you, then you have a structure that works for you. Don't change it if it's not broken. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if, and maybe that worked when your kids were like four, five, six, seven, eight, but now family dinner isn't happening because this child has a soccer game and that child has play rehearsal and you have choir rehearsal and here's a PTA meeting. And so now you're finding that that organic, we have a place to discuss ideas and to bring things forward and to move our family in along, along in a way which is harmonious and efficient doesn't happen. And that's, I think that's the reality for most families, quite frankly, Tom, which is why I'm a big proponent of um, just as you have a company meeting, you know, schools have staff meetings, you put a time for it, you put it on the calendar, you create the structure, and you make it sacred. Yeah, I think that I think that's a, a fantastic idea. <laughs> Go home and talk to my wife about it tonight. Um, well, let me add uh, two questions as we as we move towards the end here um, of the podcast. One is I'd like to talk to you just about your own parenting story. Uh, and then then finally, I want to end with, and this may be, maybe um, I'm sort of springing this on you, but um, if you had to pick, let's say somebody's listening to this podcast, they're on their metro and they're waiting to the city. Um, if you had to pick three exercises um, you know, that they could do to sort of get the ball rolling, you've talked about one, what would they be? And I'll let you pick well, which order you want to talk about those in. Um, yes, I would I would most definitely have them do the the vision exercise because that um, the vision exercise really connects to our own values. It connects to what we think is important, to what we care about. 
And when we know super clearly what we care about and what is important, it strengthens us and acts as a buffer against the, um, the judgment, the, the opinions, the dumpster diving in the internet of like, oh, what should we do about this? What's important? And that really helps to protect our children because we're not floundering. We're not turning at every point. And I'll just give you a super quick example. I had a parent who I was working with who was um, a parent who's, she, she was trying to make things fair for her kids all the time. And they would play the card off of each other. And they would say, well, you let her do that. That's not fair. You let her to do that. And she had no system for prioritizing what she should say yes to. And after doing the value work, she came up with this idea of, in our family, we celebrate each other. And that, so going to each other's events is more important than doing something else. So the next time, and she communicated that to her kids, she had started family meetings. And the next time her child came up and said, you know, mom, 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 Sarah says I can go to her house for a sleepover and I'm so excited. Then mom, without feeling guilty, without feeling torn, without feeling like she was being a bad mother, was able to say, oh, that's wonderful. I know that you want to have a sleepover at Sarah's and we're going to have to arrange it for another night because your sister's recital is tonight. And in our family, we celebrate each other's accomplishments. And because the daughter had herself already experienced everybody going to her big event, she was like, okay, because mom just said that 100% clear. And so she knew that in her family, she was going to be celebrated. And therefore, she was going to celebrate her sister. And therefore, it was easy to say to her friend, oh, golly, I'm sorry, I can't come tonight. I have to go to my sister's recital. So do you see how like just identifying values um, provides support and structure and strengthens uh, the day-to-day family decision-making? Yeah, no, that does. And so when you talk about the exercise, was that the one where you're imagining your 21-year-old adult child? Is that the exercise? Um, I mean, it comes out of it. It comes okay. out of it. And then, I mean, we really, we really go back to, um, it come, it's the same as family meetings, too. It's all connected. It's bec- it's, and it's all swirling around the idea of when we're clear in our vision and we can communicate that to our kids, then every family decision and thing which follows it is in alignment. And it makes everything more harmonious and it makes it flow because we're not constantly second-guessing each other and ourselves. Right. No, I think that makes absolute sense. And so, okay, we got the, the values, the family meeting. Do you have one more of the many you have in your book that you think would be for the person who's writing on the Metro listening to this they should focus on? Well, you know, I know that parents uh, carry around an enormous amount of guilt. And that is not a great place to parent from. And I think one of the antidotes for that is to just give yourself credit where credit's due. So part of that is accepting who you are as a parent and what you're good as a parent and just embracing it. And part of it is just like really slowing down and recognizing what are the great things that 
I do do as a parent, right? So like I was talking to a mom who was feeling like, oh, we're running around. We're guilty. We don't do anything. I don't, I'm not doing this for my kids. I'm not doing that for my kids. And I was like, okay, slow down. Give me an example. What, what did you do? Like, what did you do with your kids yesterday? She's like, well, I don't know. We didn't do it. We did yard work. And I was like, okay, start breaking that down. What were the enormous benefits that you were giving your children as you were doing yard work? And she started to really kind of think. And she said, well, they were moving their bodies. So they were being healthy. Yes. They were seeing where things grow. So they're more interested in the food that they're going to eat, which is going to make them more likely to eat it. Yes. They, we were all working together towards a common goal. Fantastic. We were disconnected from our electronics, and so we weren't vulnerable to, to the dangers of too much screen time. Wonderful. I mean, by the time she had like a list of like 15 things that were just these small little moments with her kids that to her, she was just, it was just a chore, right? Get the weeding done in the gardening. And by the time she had finished listing all the benefits, she was like, oh, my God. She was a great parent. <laughs> I'm a great parent. Look at everything that I did for my kids in, in that hour of weeding the garden. Yeah. I, you know, I'm uh, part of our, our, our coaching group for my business called Strategic Coach, which is not obviously about parenting. But although they do talk about family life, but one of the exercises, which is not rocket science, but um, it's easy to forget to do, is at the end of the day, to sit down and record your, your wins for the day. Um, and not to forget family matters. And, and when you do that at the end of the day, I'm always surprised and like, wow, you know what? Like, now that I think back on it, there are a lot of things that went right today within the family. Um, and I think that's a similar sort of practice that you're talking about. Yeah, because we, you know, we do, we do so much for our kids and so much of it is really wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and as much as you want to share uh, or not, but tell, tell us about your own parenting story. I, I know you, you are a parent, so. Oh, I am a parent, and um, and it's not, you know, it's not a straight line story. I, uh, I got married and uh, had a child, and I got divorced by the time she was three, and uh all of the sort of angst and guilt that was inherent in being divorced and feeling, you know, that I had failed her as a mother because I'd failed to provide her an intact family. Um, and then having to figure out what does it mean to parent from two houses? And, you know, what does it mean to parent real life rather than the vision that you have of the parent you thought that you were going to be or the house that you thought you were going to create, the home you thought you were going to create. And uh, eventually I remarried and I have two stepsons. And, uh, you know, they say it takes 15 years to, they take it says 15 years to blend a family. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, like most families don't have, from the years. time that the children are still at home, they don't have 15 years. And we're, right. at, year, we're at year 14. And my husband and I were just laughing the other day about, well, you know, okay, we're at 14. What are the ways in which we're blended? And one of the way, what are the ways in which, gosh, this is still hard. This is, you know, this is still something we're, we're reaching for and, and trying to find an answer for. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, I've got right now they're 19, 21, and 23. And it's really funny because by the external measures, I would say that they're all doing really well. They are, they are all, you know, pursuing interesting degrees at, at excellent educational institutions. And yet, you know, if we get into the nitty gritty of each child and the worry about, you know, is, is, does this one have that? And is, is this one, the person we want to be in that way, you know, going back to those qualities and characteristics, um, well, they're works in progress. So, so, so they're, they're messy. It's not, it's not as easy as being able to say, you know, you stand around, even with the older kids, you stand around at a cocktail party and they go, you know, how so-and-so, oh, well, he's doing this. Oh, that's great. And you're leaving out the subtext of, well, he's also struggling with this and, and there's that. And I wish he were a little bit more this. And we're hoping that he's going to become more that. Right. He's a human being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you certainly, uh, I'm certainly you, you drew on all of that for your, for your book and your work. Um, touch, touched all those bases. Well, tell, tell, um, tell us how we can, somebody could find you if they wanted to contact you and how they could find your book. Uh, the book is on Amazon parenting as a second language. And I should know the second part. It's so funny. It's like a guide for a guidebook yeah, for, I've got, I've got, got it. Right. You read it. Yeah, here we go. A guide for joyful navigating um, the trials, triumphs, and tribulations of parenthood. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, and that is on Amazon, and and uh, it really is. It's just each chapter sort of looks. It looks at connection. It looks at. It looks at. We. I do look at uh, consistency and consequences because that question always comes up for parents, right? How do How do I discipline my kids? What do I do? How do I actually get him to to do things? So I think those chapters are valuable. Oh, I thought and... it was a great, great book. I'd highly, highly recommend it. Uh, it's easily digestible and it's got a lot of really good real-world tips. Um, so you did a, did a nice job with it. Thank you. And my website is just my name, elizabethstitt.com, and it's Elizabeth with an S, not a Z. Uh, that's important. And um, I send out a weekly newsletter that is uh it's it's more thematic than it is it's it's less like you know how do you potty train or how do you um do things it's more how do we stay connected to our kids how do we communicate effectively what are some of the um challenges of modern parenting so it Really, I try to kind of write it in such a way that you might have a small child, you might have a preschool or, or lower elementary kid, and you might, I taught middle school for years, so I'm constantly looking to see what are the implications for middle school and high school. So I highly recommend my newsletter. Yeah, it is. It's, I'm, I get your newsletter. It's, uh, it's excellent. And we'll put all of that in the show notes so folks can find that um, on, on my website, which is www spigolaw.com backslash podcast uh, and this will be episode number three so you can find a link to the book and how to, to reach Elizabeth well thanks so much for, for joining me today this has been very helpful 
for joining us for another episode of the Parents at Work podcast. Are you interested in learning more about our show, our hosts, or today's guest? Do you have a comment or question you'd like to share with the Parents at Work community? Then contact us at www.spigglelaw.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time.